Let me read verses 3 through 6 of Ephesians chapter 1, then we'll have a word of prayer and we'll jump in. Paul writes this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, again, as we come to your word, may you quiet our hearts. May we find refuge in you this morning, and may you take my feeble words and, and speech and use it for your honor and glory this morning. Quiet our hearts, O oh God. Help us to worship you. Help us to be appreciative of what you've done for us this morning. And may it change our lives so that we become more like Christ in every word and action. We ask your blessing upon this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The NFL season is here. I am so ex- well, Okay, I'm excited. I am thrilled. And, you know, I'm a sports guy in every stretch of the imagination. So that's just kind of... It, 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 it burns me up. It just it makes lights a fire with me when I get sports going. Uh, obviously, with the coronavirus and politics aside, it's kind of put a damper on things. And so it's kind of unfortunate. But still, uh, today is kickoff Sunday, and teams across the NFL will meet. Most of them do not have fans in the stands, which is unfortunate. But guess what? It still gets to be broadcast on TV, and we get to watch it. Uh, the Vikings play the Packers at noon, and I'm so excited for that because the Packers are going to whip up on the Vikings. I must be able to throw it in your faces next Sunday. I'm kidding. Um, but the, the season is always exciting. And regardless of any season, uh, the season is always exciting. Why? Because each team starts off with a brand-new slate and a brand-new goal in mind. And what is that goal? Especially for the NFL, the goal is the Lombardi Trophy. That is the purpose of training camps. That is the purpose of off-season workouts. Uh, that is the purpose of all the practices that they go through. Every team starts off with that one goal in mind, that one purpose in mind, and that is to win the Lombardi Trophy in the Super Bowl. And I don't know where the Super Bowl is this year, but still, the, that is the main purpose. Um, and that's why they go through those things. And so you will ask every player who walks onto that field, what's your goal today? What do, what do you want to strive for for this season? And the answer inevitably will be, we want to win the trophy. We want to win the prize. And while teams, of, regardless of what sport, have all this aim for championship prowess, there is this comparison in our lives as believers that we do have a goal in life. Now, we all have different uh, purposes in life. Some of us uh, have fulfilled those purposes. Some are still working on them. But we all have goals in life, and that's good, and, and those are things that we strive for. But our main goal as believers is to praise God. Our main goal as, as believers is to praise God, and that's my challenge to you this morning, my proposition, if you will, my thrust. Praising God is to be your life's purpose. Praising God is to be your life's purpose. Aside from everything else that you're going through, aside from your work, your family, your uh, relationships, your hobbies, your character. Your life's goal, your life's purpose, if you will, is to praise God. 
And I want to show you that from here as, as Paul lays this out for us in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. I do need to, to look at the, the entire context as a whole. Paul starts off here in chapter 1, as we looked last week, and just this introduction to the saints who are in Ephesus, those who are faithful or those who have faith in Christ. He wishes grace and peace to them from God. He wishes nothing but the best for them. And then he starts in verse 3 all the way down through verse 14 with this big praise of God. And in the original language, and you might not find this fascinating because we don't really have this in English in our translation, but verses 3 through 14 is a single sentence in the original language. So it's this, Paul could not stop writing about God and he just keeps going and going. He ignores punctuation and just keeps writing and writing about God until verse 14. So think of 3 through 14 as one big sentence about God. And obviously in our English translation, that's broken up. But, but, but keep that in mind. So I'm breaking it, a big sentence up into three messages. And that's why we're just working at uh, 3 through 6 this morning. But that's one big sentence. And that's important as we consider this. Paul is not trivial in his pursuit of praising God. He is intentional. And he has so much to say about God that he cannot just do it in a few words. He needs to take time and one big sentence to do so. And so I, I want us to look at these four verses this morning and ask ourselves the question, why? Why is praising God to be my life's purpose? Why is praising God to be our life's purpose as a church, as individuals? I want to give you two facts that help us that. Two facts that will help us to understand why praising God is to be our life's purpose. The first fact is found in verses 3 through 5, and is we are blessed. We are blessed. Now notice Paul starts off, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so before Paul gets into the blessing that we are to consider, the fact, the status that we have of being blessed in Christ, he wants us to look at God. I mean, that's important, right? We look at God. Without God, we have nothing. And Paul says in this first little line there, he says that God is forever blessed, forever to be praised for what he has done in Christ. That term blessed has the idea of to be favored or to be put on high. And Paul is following a, a, a typical Old Testament prayer or a typical Old Testament praise that begins with a blessing of God. Even, even if you go over Israel today, I had the opportunity about almost 12 years ago to go to Israel and to, to experience that. And the Jews, Orthodox Jews who are over there who pray consistently have the black hats and the, the, the different uh, shamas and, and such that are going on. They always begin their prayers with a praise of God. Something to the effect of, Blessed are you, O Lord, who created heaven and earth. You see a pattern of this, and just an example of this for you, is found in 1 Chronicles 29.10 where David is praising God for the gifts that have been brought for the building of the temple. He says, Therefore David blessed the Lord before the assembly and said, Blessed are you, O Lord. Uh, blessed are you, Lord, God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. So Paul starts off with this traditional format of praise to God. Blessed be God. God is to be praised. But notice, who is to be praised? Again, yes, it's God. But more importantly, you notice the next term that Paul uses, God and Father. He's not just talking as God as a whole. He's talking about the first person of the Trinity, the Father, the one who is the foremost 
in the Trinity. The one who is to be praised is the Father. Not the Son, not the Holy Spirit, it is the Father. And so this, this, if you're talking with people who do not believe in the Trinity, you can point them to this verse and say, well, he's talking about the Father here. And the language is intentional. It's intentional to show us that God the Father is to be praised. So Paul, Paul is delineating the Trinity here so he can show us who specifically is to be praised because it will be the Father, it will be the Son. So God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul highlights this and says that the Father who begat the Son, who, he's, he's highlighting the, the, the Son's mission who came in human form, completing the divine mission of the Messiah foretold in the Old Testament. So Paul is highlighting God's working through Christ. How he as a human, that's the idea of the word Jesus, Joshua, the, the, the term is salvation. Jesus came in human form to fulfill the Messiah's purpose, Christ. And that purpose was to die on a cross and be raised again so that we might have eternal life. So because of what God has done in His Son, the Father is to be blessed and praised. May I ask you this morning, are you, do you take time to praise the Father for what He's done? And, and this is, is challenging to me. I, I think we find in the Scriptures that there are different allowances for us as believers to, to pray to different parts of the Trinity. And I encourage you to do that. Praise, praise this God for what He's done in Christ. Praise the Son for how he has died for us and rose again. Praise the Spirit. Praise the Spirit, asking him for help to enlighten our understanding as we look at the Scriptures. But Paul highlights specifically here that we are to praise the Father for completing, uh, initiating the mission of the Son and the Son completing it. Praise the Father for what he's done. Notice also, secondly, under the, the fact that we are blessed, the Father has granted to his children every available spiritual blessing. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. This is just an amazing sentence. I want us to look at it here. The idea of blessing or blessed has the idea of benefits that are dispersed. You know, the, a, a picture would be as you go to... Um, a workplace, you have benefits that you sign up for, right? And those benefits are intended for you to use when that time comes, whether it be health insurance, workman's comp, uh, 401k. You, know, you invest in those. The company provides that for you so that when you have an accident, when you have a medical condition, when you retire, you can take advantage of those benefits. And those benefits are given to you without um, a, a requirement because you've invested your time into them. Well, the Father has given us every spiritual benefit. Acts 3.26, just to highlight the use of this word, uh, Peter is preaching, and he says, To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you or to benefit you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. That's a blessing. The benefit that Peter highlights in Acts 3 is forgiveness, redemption turning everyone away from iniquity. That is the blessing that we are given, one of them. But notice also, as we think about who has blessed us, notice, notice there's a specific audience here. Not just blessed in general, but blessed us. Now, who is, who is the us referring to? 
referring to believers. Saints. You can hop up to verse 1. To the saints. It refers to us who have placed our faith in Christ. These are the blessings that we have been given. And it leads me to say that if there, there is someone here this morning under the sound of my voice who is not a believer, who is not, there's never been a time in your life where you confessed that you were a sinner, there was no way you were getting to God apart from Jesus Christ. You accepted his free gift of salvation. You received eternal life. If you have not done that, you are not part of this. And I, I don't say that to be mean. I don't say that to be harsh. But that's reality. If there's never been in a time in your life where you received Christ, you do not have every spiritual blessing. But guess what? You can. Right? This is not just for a select few. I mean, it is for a select few, but it's not a closed group. It's a group that has an open invitation, right? That people can come and be a part of these blessings. And that is the love of our God, isn't it? That God opens up to all of us the ability to come into his family and partake of the blessings. And I would pray and urge you as you come across people who do not know Christ, who do not have a relationship with him, partake of this. Show them the spiritual blessings that they can have. Because they all want it. And everyone looks in different areas for it. And unfortunately, all they, unfortunately only the only one they can find it in is Christ himself and God alone. So it's a specific target audience. Notice also that the word every emphasizes all the benefits. Not just a few. Not just here or there. Not just a hit or miss. Every spiritual blessing. Brothers and sisters, you and I have every spiritual blessing given to us. Terry doesn't have a few. Terry does, Terry does not have just one or two blessings. He has all of them. Larry does not have every, you know, just a couple spiritual blessings in his life. He has all of them. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ, in God. Examples of the spiritual blessings are the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. Joy, peace, love, long-suffering, we have access to the Father. Later on in Ephesians 2, he will highlight that. Let me read verse 18 for us. For through him we have both have access by one Spirit to the Father. You and I have now access to God. That is a spiritual blessing. That is something that we are blessed with. We also have peace with God. Romans 5.1 We are blessed by the promise of eternal life. Romans 6.23 And I could go on and on and on about all the spiritual blessings that we have because of what God has done for us in Christ. They, these blessings are not like the physical blessings. In the Old Testament, there were physical blessings. You know, if, if Israel obeyed God, then there would be blessing of prosperity and land and, and productivity. Deuteron that's Deuteronomy 28. But if they did not obey God, there would be curses. There would be uh, negative effects for the lack of obedience, and therefore there would be not be blessings. But these are blessings from God from where he dwells, and they are for the here and now. That's the idea of the phrase, in heavenly places. God has, God has granted us spiritual blessings, and they are for now. They're not for the future. They're not for a time down the road. They are for now. And notice, in whom are these blessings found? They are found in Christ. This phrase, in Christ or in him, is repeated 39 times in the book of Ephesians alone. I think Paul wants us to get something. 
in Christ these are found. And, and perhaps as he's using this phrase so many times, this would be a challenge to the Ephesian believers as they're listening to this book being written, as they are coming out of a pagan worship where their identity was wrapped in their idolatry of the goddess Diana. Now they have a new identity, and that is in Christ. And so they, they, they are now found to be in him. All these blessings come through him. Are you thankful this morning for the blessings you have in Christ? For what he has done for you in his son? You have every spiritual blessing. And when you get down and discouraged and, and just, you know, think about the spiritual blessings you have. I know this, you know, the season of, of life, we, we've been really discouraged by what's been going on in our world, haven't we? The politics and, and the virus, and it's just, we get endowed with all this information that leaves us very discouraged. But guess what? In Christ, we have every spiritual blessing. Therefore, we can be encouraged. We can have hope. Moving on, and, and there's a lot here. I struggled with putting all this together. I thought, well, am I going to overload them? Am I gonna... But there's just, just so much here. Would you look at this with me, please? Notice also, thirdly, the Father has chosen those who are His. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Brothers and sisters, if you're a believer here this morning, you are chosen. You are selected. I want to take you back to... Oh, it's a little too loud. <laughs> I want to take you back to... Uh, your playground days, school days. Now, I, 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 I grew up homeschooling. Uh, I was homeschooled for most of my, my life. I did have a period of time, uh, first grade, where I went to public school. But you remember uh, recess and, and going out on the playground. And what inevitably would happen, you would go to perhaps the softball diamond, baseball diamond, or perhaps the basketball court, or another field. And inevitably, what would happen, you would have boys and girls come together, okay, let's play kickball, or let's play basketball. And how do you divide the teams up? You pick two captains, right? And you line everybody up, and then you start picking. Okay, I take so-and-so, or I take this one, and you go back and forth until the teams are selected. And if you were like me, you were lucky to get picked last. Okay? And the captains select people to be in our teams. And most of the time, the people who are picking will pick the strongest people first. And the, the people who don't have much ability, they get picked last. But they still get picked. They still get picked on the team, even though it might be at times reluctant. Well, I want you to think of that in your mind as, as you are lined up in, in the, the, the story of life, the race of life, and God picked you. Not because of anything you did, not because of anything that you had physically, characteristically, attributes, hard work ethic, so on and so forth, but God picked you. God chose you. And that alone is something to be thankful for. That God chose you. That he alone stood back in eternity past and said, David Fish, I choose you. That nothing in himself refrained from doing that. He instead chose us. And, and, and the idea of the word, just as he chose us, the, the point there is that it is God's choice. God is the one who chooses to uh, those who are his. This, this phrase highlights the doctrine of election. I don't want to get too deep into this. There is controversy 
uh, theologians for years have argued, okay, if God chooses some, why doesn't he choose everybody? And, and, and the controversy is not without merit, because inevitably you will run into the argument, well, if God chooses some, that means some don't get chosen. How is that fair? And I don't want to get, again, I don't want to get too deeply in this. One of the commentators that, that I've used for the study put it this way, the real problem or a real argument is not why he had not chosen some, but why he chose any. No wonder God is to be praised. God didn't have to choose you and me. God didn't have to choose anybody. Yet he did. And he is to be praised. 1 Peter 1, 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of the God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for beings in the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. He chose you and me. And it was in Christ that we are chosen. We are not picked for our purposes, our merit, but we were chosen in Christ who made that choice possible because of his redemptive work. That Christ, by his work on the cross, allowed you and I to be chosen. Aren't you even more thankful for what Christ did on the cross? That by that very act of dying in our place for our salvation, for our eternal life, he made that choice possible. He made it allowable for us. And notice when this choice occurred. This choice occurred before the world was formed. Even before the world was constructed. Even before Genesis 1-1, God had already chosen Aren't you thankful for God? Are we not thankful for God who has chosen us to be his? And that choice was made a long, long time ago. Fourthly, as we move on here, the Father has chosen his children for a purpose. And that purpose is to be presented before him as holy and blameless in love. There's always a purpose when you choose things. Uh, We just... A few weeks ago, finished uh, closing on our house, and my wife, who is the decorator in the family, has been setting it up, and she has chosen, if you come to our house, and we hope to have all of you at one point or another in, uh, we, we want to do that. We are very much for hospitality, and that's something we want to do. But you will find different items displayed around the house for a purpose. If you walk into the living room, you'll find pictures of Josiah around the place, and those are for a purpose. It's just to remind uh, us of him and his smile and, and how he brings joy to our lives. There's also, uh, if you walk into the kitchen area, there are Bible verses that are written around. Those are for a purpose, to remind us about truth as we live in relationship with, with, with each other. But God has chosen us for a purpose. We're not just supposed to be sitting on a pew on a Sunday morning, and that's the extent of what we're supposed to do. No, we have a purpose in our lives. That purpose is to be holy, twofold, to be holy, set apart for God's service. It's service that is reserved for God and God alone. The word also implies that the object of God's use cannot be claimed by another source. God has chosen you so you might serve him and him alone. God has also chosen you to be blameless, without fault, Man cannot stand before God as he is because of his sin. He needs cleansing so that he might be able to stand in God's presence. 
It's Isaiah 6, 5, and 7. As Isaiah is coming before God, he realizes his sin. He says, I am cursed, I am condemned. And God comes and takes a live, uh, an angel comes and takes a live coal and puts it on his lips. says that this, is, this has purged you, this has cleansed you. God has chosen us to be blameless before God. Now, now these actions are not actions that we take. They are reflective of our position before him. Because of our salvation, because God has chosen us, therefore, before him, positionally, you and I are holy and blameless. Now, that will be fully realized in the future. We're not... We're, we're, uh, physically and characteristically now, there is lacking of holiness and blamelessness in our lives. I know I can say that for myself. But positionally before God, you and I are holy and blameless. We stand before God as though we have never sinned. Isn't that great news? That when God chose you and me, he chose us and therefore called us holy and blameless. You notice the little phrase at the end there, in love. There is much debate on which this phrase, where it goes. Does it go before the sentence with this one, having, uh, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love? Or does it follow in love having been predestined? And there's, translations go either way. I think the phrase itself describes the act of being holy and blameless before him. So these are the actions God took in love. In love, God made us holy and blameless. Before him. This is, this is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent his son to die on a cross. The love of God help, uh, enables us to be holy and blameless. But there's also a challenge here in that small phrase. Yes, God loves us and has, has freely put us in this position of being holy and blameless, but yet we're also supposed to show the attribute of love. As we be holy and blameless before God, in, in a physical, characteristic sense, we also do that in a spirit of love. We are not haughty, we are not proud, we are not defiant, we are not stuck up. We are holy and blameless in love, showing love to others. Moving on, number six, I think I'm on number, this is number six or number five, I lose count. <laughs> the father has adopted his children into his family. Having verse 5, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. The word predestined is to decide beforehand, determine, predetermine. Uh, it's used only six times in the New Testament, tw twice here in Ephesians. And when you look at it, in all of the New Testament, God is consistently the subject of the action. God decides, makes the decisions of eternity. Terry read Romans eight twenty eight. And 29, whom he did for no, he did also predestine. And the result of that verse is showing how our predestination, how God determined beforehand what we would be. God makes those decisions. He does not need the counsel of humanity, but instead relies on his own wisdom. Isaiah 40, verse 13, asks the question rhetorically, who has directed the Spirit of the Lord, or who, or has his counselor has taught him? The answer is nobody. God has decided that we would be adopted. Again, look who is the target of this, having predestined us. Not unbelievers, not the world, 
saints, those who have placed their faith in Christ, we are adopted. Now, adoption, as you know, is a legal term, meaning that the adoptee gains all the rights and privileges of a natural born member of the family. Uh, Roman law, as Paul is referring to, reflects much of the law that we have today. That a, a adoptee leaves the authority, structure, and rights of his previous relationship, whether that was with mother or father, and gains a new family, new responsibilities, new privileges. He is not obligated to fulfill any former responsibilities once he has been adopted. All that, that old life, if you will, is left behind. And now he has a new one. And so God has adopted you and God has adopted me. Through no merit of our own, through nothing that we have done, God still has adopted us. And that, that is another thing to praise God for, right? That God has taken you and I and made, as we'll look in a few Sundays, dead people alive. He has taken us from darkness to light. He has made us his children. No longer are we the children of wrath in Ephesians 2. We are now the children, the sons of Jesus Christ. We have been adopted. Notice that it is Christ who is the agent of this adoption. It is through him alone that adoption to, into the family of God can happen. This, this flies in the face of popular uh, beliefs today that there are many ways to God. John fourteen six people uh, take that and say, well, there's many ways to God. There's many ways of doing uh, reaching God, but but we cannot be adopted apart from Christ. People want to be part of God's family, and that's great. But guess what? Christ is the only way. There is no other way. No one can get to the Father apart from Him. And notice also that the phrase uh, to himself refers to, to where the adoption takes place. The, it refers to the Father. As Christ is the agent of the adoption, so the Father is the recipient of the adoption process. He adopts to himself. God doesn't adopt and then leave us alone. God doesn't say, welcome into my family, just go sit in a corner. God adopts us to himself. It shows the personal relationship you and I can have with the Father, right? It shows us how we have been adopted, taken from darkness to light, to a personal relationship with God. Brothers and sisters, you and I have access to God himself. You and I are the ones who have a personal relationship with God. It's not abstract. It's not a wishful, okay, I wish I had a relationship with God. No, we have a solid relationship with the Father that has caused us to be part of his family. Notice also, and lastly from this section, that God loves to adopt into his family. The end of verse 5, according to the good pleasure of his will. The, the phrase according to has, a, as indicates a goal. The father is always looking to adopt. You, you hear of these people in, in uh, foster homes uh, who do foster care and and around our country, and, and this is a staggering statistic for you, but at any point in time, there are 500,000 children in the United States who are, who are in foster, foster care. 500,000. And many people 
uh, are just doing it to, to be fosters so they, they can take care of the kids. But there are some who, when they foster, do it with the intent of adopting that, per, that child. I, I, know, I personally know of, of a few. They, they welcome that child into their home, and the intention is that someday, if things work out, and, and they don't always work out, that they would welcome that child into their home as a member of the family. And, and that picture is, is what God does for us. God is always looking to adopt people into his family. God isn't sitting up in heaven and just kind of, you know, just waiting for people to accept him. No, he is actively pursuing the adoption process. Why? Why is he pursuing it? Why is he pursuing an active status of adoption? Because he loves to do it. That is the idea of the word pleasure. He, he loves to adopt people into his family. So when you and I talk to others about Christ, as we show the love of Christ to people, as we're challenging them with the truth, there, there should be in our mind this, this not hesitation to share the gospel, but a desire to. Why? Because God loves to adopt people into his family, and he's always looking to add. He never runs out of room in his family. And, and aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful that when you got saved, God didn't say, okay, that's it. No more. When you and I received Christ, God said, welcome in. Let's have a party. <laughs> Let's have more people come in. This is what God wants to do. This is his will. This is what he is pursuing. He is pursuing adopting people into his family so that may become a part of his family. Do you see how you're blessed this morning? <laughs> Beyond imagination. And again, we are barely scratching the surface here. Why should you and I make praising God our life's purpose? Because we are blessed. And I would encourage you as, as you work through, and I hope you use the, the outline that I've given you, just to, maybe later on today, just kind of work through these points. And maybe spend time, further study, if you will, and praise God what he's done for you in Christ. How you are blessed. Lastly, another, the last fact that I have for us this morning as we think about um, making praising God our life's purpose is that we are favored. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the, in the beloved. Several things I want us to note here. Number one is that God has conferred his blessing upon his children. That's the idea of the phrase to the pra uh, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. The, the idea of the verb here is to cause to be the recipient of, you know, f uh, another term might be favor, favor highly, blessed, that's accepted. This, this, this word is very interesting. It's only used twice in the whole of the New Testament. The other time it's used is Luke one twenty eight. And if you know your, your Christmas story, you know that passage of Scripture refers to the angel greeting Mary. And what does he say to her? He says, greetings, O favored one. That's a special designation. Someone who is favored by God. And in her case, it was favored to the point she would give birth to the Messiah, allow Christ to come into this world. Therefore, God chose her to do that. And so God has favored us. He has made us accepted. He has shown his favor to us. 
And what is this favor? This favor is an act of grace. God chose to pour out grace on us. There is nothing in us that lends toward that decision. So God accepted us in the past, and now we have received grace. Again, who is this shown to? Us. This has been shown to us. Our, it has been shown to me, it has been shown to you. We have been favored by God. Secondly, notice also that the Father loves his children through his Son. May us accept it in the Beloved. The, 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 the construction here uh, denotes a warm affection for someone or something. Can, we can also use another term we could use as cherish, have affection for, love. God loves the Son. It, it harkens back to Matthew 3.17, where the dove descends down after Jesus has been baptized. And, and what does is, what is the, the voice from heaven say? This is my beloved Son. God loves the Son, and then therefore showers that love on those who are His. Pointing out the intimate relationship that the Son and the Father have. The Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father. God shows His love by using His Son, whom He loves, to display that love to believers. There's a lot of love going on here. Love between the Father and the Son, but also that love is shown to those who are His. Again, John 3.16. And then finally, notice that these actions by the Father are designed to bring Him praise to the praise of his glorious grace. The word praise means an expression of admiration or approval. And it's not praise for us who have received the love, who have been received the blessings. It is praise for God. Paul says here, in, in, as he's writing in a prison cell, thinking about his situation, he expresses praise of God and say God is to be praised for his glorious grace. The word glory here is the radiance of God reflected in his being. This is what God is to be praised for. God himself is revealed in his work and his word. Believers, therefore, are to lift up, glorify the resplendence of God. And what is the resplendence of God here? It is his grace. The undeserved favor of God. And so what we have discussed in these few verses is the actions of God that are a result of his grace. You saw in the front of your bulletin this morning the, 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 the hymn, Amazing Grace. And it is that amazing grace that has allowed us to be chosen, loved, adopted, spiritually blessed. So, so if, you, if you get nothing more from the sermon this morning, be thankful, be, be, be enraptured, be enthralled with his grace to you and to me. It is his work of grace that has allowed us these spiritual blessings, these truths to be foundational in our lives, to be a reality for us. It is a work of grace. And that is what his actions are designed to do, to bring him praise. So we praise the grace of God in bringing his son to us and, and, and providing all of these blessings for us. Are you thankful for God's grace this morning? Amen. That he has brought us from death to life. 
He has done all of this. He has loved us through this son. He has blessed us so much. We are accepted. We are favored in him. All of grace. Nothing that you and I have done, nothing that, that we have established in our lives has brought us to this point. No, it is the act of God's grace. So be thankful, be praising God for his grace this morning. You know, all the teams and, that are playing today and, and many more sports that are occurring today all have those goals in mind, don't they? They all have those purposes in mind. Some, some want to get better at their sport. Some want to achieve the trophy. Some, want just, to, some, want, some just want to play. That's all their, their purpose is. And while the purposes and goals that we have in life are admirable, they're even worth pursuing Our primary purpose, our purpose in our life is to praise God. Are you doing that this morning? That there are some here in, in this room this morning, you're, you're going through a tough time. Perhaps physical struggles, perhaps financial struggles, perhaps relationship struggles. And I, I, I've been there. I am there in some respects. And it's really easy for us to get down on ourselves and to, to just focus on you know, our situation and what we're going through. But remember that praising God is your life's purpose. Remember that you and I are to be, even in the depths of despair, lifting our voice to praise God for what he has done. And what has he done? He has blessed us and he has favored us. And if that's all that you and I can use to motivate us in our lives, that's enough. We don't need anything else. We don't need any more motivation. We don't need any more facts. It is enough that Jesus died for me and I am blessed and favored because of it. And thankfully, Paul does not stop there. He goes on, we'll see this in the coming weeks, more blessings, more, more realities that he has for us. But brothers and sisters, this morning, can you and I take time to purpose in our hearts and our minds to make praising God our primary goal from now until we meet him in eternity?